welcome to the Nymon Be Praised. I'm Jack. And I'm Joe. And I have a glass of wine with me today. And because of the time difference, I think you have a cup of coffee. I do. Well, it's, for me, it's uh, midday. So it would be very remiss of me to be drinking wine at this time. <laughs> yeah, I would perhaps be asking questions, mm. but you are entirely within your right to ask questions of me. Of just like, Jack, are you all right? But look, I have a fabulous The Doctor's Cup featuring oh. uh, Mr. Men versions of Tom Baker, Peter Capaldi, Matt Smith, I think, and yes, yes. William Hartnell. Aww. I, they did choose the right colours for them, I think. Actually, no, wait, for Tom Baker, I'm surprised they did, didn't just put every single shade on them. Matt Smith's blue. Why would Matt Smith be blue? Um, I'd make Matt Smith yellow and Peter Capaldi blue, because he's a pretty grumpy sort, you know? Yeah, yeah. He's the, or you could just make him grey and make him look even more like Eeyore. Bye. Bye. How are you today? I'm very well. I went to, <laughs> I went to the gym today and overexerted myself, and now I am very sore. Guys, you so see I'm... what I'm seeing right now—the buffest man I've ever seen in my life. Big grief. <laughs> I, but I wasn't very smart because a bit like you know, it was a it was a good session, um, and I went with my friend, um, and but I got home and we had um, we made a nice vegetable curry which was great and then i had a the, i had a big slice of cheesecake afterwards oh, so what was it all for jack oh no you undid all that good john bloody awful for that but usually whilst yeah. i'm working out i'm i'm uh, figuring out the amount of calories i can actually eat when i get home so i'm like okay so no. I've, I've taken off like you know 500 calories doing this cross training so that's uh, at least a whole chocolate bar and a half i can have when i get home to put it back on again no, I'm just gonna have to count on my metabolism. My metabolism desperately like jogging, you know. Oh, oh, oh god, not again. Do you know what this is? This episode mm -hmm. is our penultimate um, episode of season three. Is it? it I, is. I I feel like these these series are, you know, very poorly poorly thought out, as if they never have an endpoint in mind. I know. Well, uh, you know there's an endpoint in mind for this one. <laughs> I'm not saying what it is, yeah. but it's gonna be a doozy. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a right royal treat. No, we, we should, we shouldn't do that. What did we? We should focus on the here and now, like Christopher Eccleston's Doctor. We shouldn't be teasing the future, like Stephen Moffat's Doctors, the future, no. the past, even, everything they in did, between. They did that. <laughs> they did that in season. I remember, didn't they do that in season twelve as well, where um, you know, they would be going. Only two more episodes until the finale. Oh, did um, they? Was that right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I mean, um, I think it was just on Twitter. It's really so bad anyway. when they start saying, you know, you've only got to endure this for two more episodes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, on the one hand, I could see why this is like, you know, everything changes in 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 three episodes, but also felt like, oh, this is this is a bit harsh for the people, you know, whose episodes are broadcasting today. Yeah, they're just like. It's like, oh, uh, yeah, I mean, you could watch Ascension of the Cybermen or, you know, um, uh, The Haunting of the Villa Diodati, but in two more weeks. I mean, many people would say they are more favourable episodes than that finale. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe. But we've already discussed that, haven't we? We have, we have. And uh, do you know what? That's one of our most popular episodes, that. 
our, well, our hell bent, timeless children uh, reappraisals. Yeah, I. You know what? I. Why am I not surprised that an episode which is about hell bent and the timeless children was one of the ones that people tuned into? Well, do you know, like after that, do you know what? What like the next most listened to one is is the reappraisal of season twenty four. I think people just like duds being reappraised. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm really happy for season twenty four. It's got a box set now. It got a box set off the back of your did, goodwill for it. Did you see that trailer? It was fabulous. Where Mel's doing like the you know the pitches, the dragon's oh, yeah. den. Yeah, doing doing the full space apprentice thing. And I love how and McCoy then... keeps going back for these things. And he's like, yeah. let's go, Mel. Yeah. Oh no, my favorite is when he throws the clothes off. He's like, Mel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's so gorgeous, isn't he? I've, yeah, I've, I've nice really, to... really come around with Sylvester McCoy. I don't know what's happened to me. I used to be so hard yeah. on him, and now I just think he's yeah. magic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well. I mean, admittedly, you've always been a fan of early McCoy, though, haven't you? Yeah, but I just think I just think he's like got something. I I, I don't know what it is. It's not tangible. Um, he just has like that kind of natural eccentricity. Maybe that's it. Um, and mm-hmm. I just think the more I see him like away from Doctor Who, like in interviews and things like that, convention panels, he's just so gorgeous. It just it it does. Mm. It, I think it does affect how you view the character sometimes when you see how the actor behaves. And it's very mm. much the case with him. Did you ever watch any of the Hobbit movies? Uh, I think you may have like tried to shy me away from those. Um, I, I I remember watching the first one, and it was filmed in such a strange way. I couldn't really get mm. on board with it. They, they, didn't they try some new technique with that movie? Yeah, it was. I can't even remember it myself, but it was in some kind of super super mega HD um, yeah. frame rate. <laughs> but um, as a result, it looked really sort of blurry and weird. Like, yeah, yeah, kind of. Um, but obviously, Sylvester McCoy was in that. Um, as Radagast the Brown, one of the wizards. <laughs> he's, um, do you know, he's coming up. He's in a horror movie that's coming out soon. Yeah, I think I, I, I sent you the trailer for that. Yeah. I think it's already out. Yeah. Oh, is it out? Oh, I'm not trying to find it today. He looks really. Yeah. He's doing his low, scary voice. voice. Yes, mm. we are the ghosts. Uh, Haha. Yeah. yeah, it's all really like that. Yeah. I, do you know, it was really funny read. I didn't peek at some of the reviews, and some of them were just like, some of it, it felt like the kind of thing you get with Sylvester McCoy, where some reviewers really loved his performance and other people thought it was awful. Uh, no, 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 I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that he is the finest actor that England has ever produced. Uh, sorry, mm-hmm. not England, he's Scottish, Britain has ever produced. Um, yeah. But. You, you know, I've always said like he's like a dangerous actor. You never quite know what you're going to get, but sometimes he strikes like absolute gold. Something like mm-hmm. Master from Big Finish, where he's just awesome. Um, yeah. Well, I'm hoping in this movie that, that he, you know, he goes all out like B movie mad. Oh, apparently, I, I'm not sure if he's mad, but he definitely goes very B movie. Basically, what I'm saying um, is, I want more like the beginnings, the beginnings, only good and evil, and less kind of you know burnt toast bus stations, less sort of like less kind of underplayed and more mental. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I mean, the whole concept of that movie is that like 
like a bunch of kids turn up to an old to old people's homes to like there to rob them and but then the homeowners they're the they're the ones chasing the kids out oh my god that's never been done yeah. before well i'll tell you what why don't we both yeah. try and see it before the next time we talk and then uh and then we'll we'll, we'll review it next time yeah oh, but i'm a real wimp at horror movies I can't deal. I can't deal. We'll watch it together then. All right, I'll hold your hand virtually. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I. It's a shame we're not actually talking about Sylvester McCoy this week, is it? No, we're not. We're, uh, well, Jack, what are we talking about this week? And I, in a rare hmm. delight, we are actually talking about the thing we said we were going to talk about in the last episode. Yeah, so I'm gonna pause, stop speaking for exactly five minutes, so you can go back and find out for yourself to prove that we are in fact gonna talk about this. So Jer- Joe and I are just gonna stare at each other with big Tom Baker boggle eyes uh, for five minutes in silence. No, I'm, gonna, um, I'm actually gonna take this moment to uh, remind you mm-hmm. of what you said on the back of our guest telling us what we're going to be talking about this time. Oh, we don't need to bring we don't need to bring that up again. <laughs> okay, we won't go back and listen to that because it's the best bit of podcast you'll ever hear in your life. <laughs> <laughs> I like one. Well, I mean, before I ask my first question, I'll one say is like you know from the distant world of the Dominators, we're we're now on. Uh, we're dealing with something a lot more grounded in reality, potentially. Indeed, indeed. Although it is an awful shame, because I think this character could have done fabulous work on the planet of Dolkis. Uh, on the planet of Zog. Yeah. And, oh, Dol- Dolkis especially. Yeah. yeah. Um, can you... Uh, I'm, but first, Joe, you asked me how I've been. How have you been? I'm very well, thank you. Yes, you know, working oh. hard, uh, flitting between two yeah. podcasts and... Uh, <laughs> completely neglecting my blog but doing very well thank you have you got have you got any has anybody messaged you going oi where's the blog yeah where is people, it a few people have been like are you putting out content anymore I'm like, oh, I am, but it's more oral than it is written but i do need to get back mm. to that yeah mm. have you been listening to any big finishes um well that's a no because i can't think of anything no i haven't listened to any big finish <laughs> for a little while if i'm honest i have been listening to the target readings and reading the target novels for the very first time oh really yeah and some of them i'll tell you what i did i've done jeffrey beaver's reading of the doomsday weapon i've done peter davison's reading of castro valva colin baker's reading of the twin dilemma and i'm currently doing david trout's reading of the war games and they're all such good narrators all of them i've yet to find about yeah I sorry. Is this the first time? As in the first time you've read the novel novelization? Yeah, the so first I, time you've I listened had them. to them. I had the whole collection, but I never really read them. Um, oh, you said you said that sounds like me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's absolutely you. You have recently yeah. completed the Douglas Adams collection. I don't know if you're ever going to get around to reading them, but you've got the collection. Yeah, it looks nice on the shelf. It, it satisfies it me. Do you, do you know? I remember. Um, Can you uh, hear the, the, the babbling first... of undergraduates coming from your shelf? <laughs> Just leaking out of the page. Um, funny you should mention that, actually. But I remember in the first year we met, um, uh, I found that when I was, it was also it, quite, it was also my first year at university. And in the student bookstore, I, I did find a copy of Sharda, the novel, the novelization. Mm. Um, 
which kind of surprised me considering that book had been published about i guess three no something like three or four years prior i suspect um but yeah i got it and i and i told you i got the novelization you're like oh that's great and i remember have you have you read it no oh my god well it is oh am i allowed to say it's a good novelization anymore I don't know. I don't know what I'm allowed to enjoy or not anymore, but it is a fantastic novelization, regardless of who wrote it. Mm. Mm, definitely. <laughs> um, I'm sure I will get around to having further very sad feelings about Gareth Roberts <laughs> in the near future. It's so um, sad, isn't it? It's like you have to preempt everything these days. If you're going to talk about yeah. Buffy or Angel, if you're going to talk about the Unicorn and the Wasp, if you're going to talk about Harry Potter, like it's it's really it's tricky, isn't it? Like, yeah, you could be you could be cancelled in a minute, Jack. I mean, uh, it was the complex thing you get uh, with this whole side. This isn't actually what I think we was planning on talking about. Where you know, um, I suppose you know, if enjoying the work of someone who holds. Um, horrific view yeah your kind of really terrible views is in some way not not an endorsement of it obviously but you know a kind of complicity with with their views in some ways i suppose is the feeling <laughs> that i struggle with sometimes of going you know because you know i actually did re-listen to um all three of his um uh, the audio adaptations of his books, um, Romance of Crime, English Way of Death, and uh, The Well-Mannered War. And I love all three of those stories. Mm-hmm. I And I think they're wonderful. And I think they have this... I mean, obviously, because they're season 17 stories, and I love those characters. And I think he does a great job of capturing that, that tone. And it was just... There's just this tension that that now sits inside you now when you're enjoying something where... It's kind of like you can enjoy the work, but you also know that there's this kind of baggage that comes with it now. I I, um, I don't have it. I, I'm I I you know, and I am completely opposing Gareth Roberts' <clears throat> um, troubling opinions. I am I'm an absolute left winger, pro-choice, all of that. But mm. if I'm watching the Unicorn and the Wasp, if I'm watching the Lodger. I'm watching those episodes. I'm not having a discourse with Gareth Roberts, you know. Yeah, and you know, and I, I think that is a fairly reasonable conclusion to reach. In because, uh, and you know, I, there was a, an observation I once saw made because you know, this whole kettle of fish has prompted loads of questions about mm. disassociating the art from the artists and all that kinds of things. And, you know, one of the, something that I found was an observation I found very interesting. I'm not sure if it's necessarily um, does, always works in kind of tackling what is essentially quite a complex issue in art uh, uh, to do with art and artistry. Um, but so I think someone made the point that, you know, you can you can allow yourself to enjoy an art a piece of art or a piece of entertainment or a piece of writing by someone by someone who holds views that you that you know are terrible and horrible mm-hmm. um if 
if they if the, the views aren't kind of in the material itself i suppose well i think the other argument is people say that those views are always like like embedded in yeah in it's a like, latent thing because that's obviously coming from the brain of that person who has those opinions and mm, you know you can yeah. you can kind of then go back and once something terrible has been said on social media you can then go back and read them and and see things sometimes perhaps or not mm-hmm. um it, it's a massive kettle of fish it's i don't think there's an, an easy answer i think you can either disassociate yourself and enjoy the piece of work or you can't and and mm-hmm. those two people are never going to agree like that's two different mm-hmm. two like completely different points of view that are never going to come together um, and so mm-hmm. arguing about that, which a lot of people do, is pointless. You know, uh, mm-hmm. if you if you can enjoy it, if you can't, don't. But let mm-hmm. those that want to enjoy it enjoy it, and let those that don't don't. Wow, I think I may have just some just just sorted out the whole argument. Yeah, just yeah. just just <laughs> leave each other alone. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you know what? Do you know what's also a contentious issue in Doctor Who? No, but okay, go for it. What 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 is a contentious issue in Doctor Who? Why do you look nervous right now? Oh, I oh I think I know what you're going to say now. I I wasn't sure what you were going to say. I was like, are we going to talk about a completely different tangent? But I think this is your way of getting us back on track. (laughs) The character of Rose Tyler. (laughs) I can't believe we went on that much of a tangent. Um. Who I think in fandom is okay. You tell me if I'm mad or not. I think that to the <clears throat> non-fan, to that you know, to the not we, Rose Tyler is like the peak companion, like the best companion, <clears throat> had the best storyline, kind of saw them into the new series, and <clears throat> for a lot of them, saw them out of the new series. Um <clears throat> And for fans, she's a very contentious character indeed. Yes, I think that is entirely true. Um, but I, I think that it's a um, further distinction than that because, you know, I think it's, you get that rift even amongst, you know, casual fans who just kind of, you know, who kind of probably are aware of the old show but kind of casually watch the new series. And then people from the show who, you know, proper hardcore fans who, you know, watch stories with uh, Tegan or Sarah Jane. Sarah Jane actually being quite an actual (coughs) one in this case. Yeah, indeed. um, But yeah, uh, yeah, no, I think there's always been a... I don't think the 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 rift of Rose Tyler... Again, we're just putting in more references. Um, the rift about Rose Tyler, I don't think it's as pronounced as some other characters. I think character. I think a lot of the Moffat-era characters divide a bit more yeah. sharply, I yeah, guess, I or, so. or at least polarise a bit more. Um, I think Rose, but... Rose comes with a package, and a lot more people are on board with the package, i.e. Jackie, mm-hmm. Mickey... Uh, P, you know, and that whole journey that that, that they all go on, uh, and mm-hmm. I, I think there's a general consensus that it's like the best family um, of the new series. Whereas those Moffat characters kind of are, are stand alone, 
don't they? And it's whether you like that character or not. Mm-hmm. Right, because you, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure if this holds up, but it's this whole thing where you know, with a Russell T Davis companion, it's, it's it, there is obviously you can have an opinion of the character, but you, you'll have, you probably also have an opinion of the world, the, the world that they come from, the world they bring with them, or the family they bring with them specifically. Yeah. Whereas with the um, Moffat companions, it's more often than not, it's just that yeah. person. Yeah. Um, and in the, all, all the focus is just on them in their travels, as opposed to <laughs> the Clara's gran. Clara's <laughs> gran. And her two scenes. Yeah. yeah. Or Amy's mum yeah, and dad and, and their one scene. Yeah. She said something about pigeons or something. I don't know. I don't know. That, that, that guy, that guy who played Amy's dad, who like doesn't look anything like Karen Gillan at all, that little short, dumpy guy who's like, oh, yes, hello, Amelia. But I was like, oh, man, yeah. I want to see you again. You look great. Oh, yeah. No, he's great at the wedding. He when he's just like, oh, he's going to go up and do the dad's speech. He's like, uh, a few minor adjustments. <laughs> but... Finish okay. now. Uh, I have two kind of opening questions for you then. All right. So number one is, do you think Russell T. Davis could not let Rose Tyler go? Looking at his era as a whole, and obviously her journey kind of ends at the end of series two, but it doesn't, does it? Do you think that this, like, basically, if he could have, he would have just written four series of Rose Tyler? Um, I don't think, I think he, no, I think he definitely saw the end of Doomsday as the end of her story as a companion. I'm, I certainly think he was interested in writing other companions yeah, for the Doctor. That. I'd agree with that. Uh, um, I, th- I, I, have a, I, I have a suspicion he always had other ideas of where the story could go beyond that. Um, I I feel like the subtext of that question is in some way about does Rose's return in series four in some way diminish her original ending in some respect? That's a big question as well. Um, uh, That's so tough because I, I think the answer to that is yes and no. I think yeah, there, there's pretty much. Yeah. There's, there's never been like a companion ending like Rose's ending in Doomsday, and there never will be mm. again. And I don't think there'll ever be a buzz around a companion leaving like they were. Like my mum phoned me that night. My mum phoned me and said, "Oh my god, I've been crying my eyes out. Doctor Who's companion Aww. has has been torn away from him." You know. Um, yeah, I, th- I think you're right because um, you know it's certainly even with probably. The only other companion you could probably compare in popularity, uh, or uh, would be, I'd say, Donna Noble. Yeah, I'd say. So um, well. And even, and even then, I don't think people were necessarily surprised that she only stayed for one series, just given that it was Catherine Tate who has a career in comedy, also yeah. going at the same time. So annoying though, because she's she says in hindsight that she absolutely would have been on board for a second season, and I reckon if he if he'd have known that, he would have done series five. Oh, yeah. like the second I, season of Tenant and Tate. God damn it! I uh, but I also I also find it funny that she's she, she's like yeah I would have done another season and also is like yeah I still have no idea what Doctor Who's about. That's the one with the Daleks in it with the robots. <laughs> the, 
the Saunterums, are they run on electric? Oh, there's actors in them. Like, mm. you know. But anyway, sorry, sorry. Go back to Rose. Um, so, yeah, so that ending, and that was, like, serious event television. Like, that, mm. it was on everybody. It was water cooler television. And I do think um, that both Moffat and less so Chibnall, but I think Moffat's tried to recapture that because they are sort of emotional highs when Amy, when Clara, um, and when Bill are written out. I don't think they quite captured, like, the, the audience at home in the same way as Rose's did. And maybe that's because yeah. it was the first, maybe because it was, you know, pitched at such a melodramatic level that, you know, like mm. even these EastEnders crowd were on board. Um, but then Rose came back and I really like what he does with her character. I love that she's um, got like massive agencies. She's away from the doctor. She's achieved a lot. She's really smart um she's the one that kind of has the answers as to what would solve this big season four problem but mm. then but then they give her the clone of david tennant and it's all a bit weird i don't know what to feel about that yeah it's it, it, if, if that i think it's that in particular which feels really cheap and it's not that's not to say that that's without like precedent like that's kind of what rusty davis did with jackie and Pete. Wasn't it? Mm. He, he found some enormous science fiction way of bringing back together that couple, and here he finds some bizarre science fiction way to basically let Rose have a happy ending with the Doctor. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's different in that in that instance just because the whole concept of the parallel world is introduced and explored earlier in the series in quite a bit of detail. And we get to know alternate universe Pete a bit more before he comes back in Doomsday. Whereas in Journey's End and Stolen Earth, do the Doctor, the Metacrisis Doctor, is literally invented in Journey's End and yeah. then dished off. <clears throat> it's, it's a bit more abrupt. It's not set up in the as well. Well, the issue with the Journey's End <clears throat> ending of Rose is that's not the emotional high in that climax. Mm. It's no. It's Donna's ending. I, I think. Do you, do you think it works having Rose? Essentially, well, we know that Rose basically says, I love you. Uh, the uh, Metacrisis Doctor says, I love you to Rose. And oh. then they do the big kiss. Yeah. And then and, <clears throat> and then going straight, more or less straight into Catherine Tate's goodbye. Is that? Do, did you think that was a good placing of scenes in terms of emotional <sighs> beats? I think, I think it, it is the right priority. It's the... It, Series four is Catherine Tate's year, so she deserves the big end. Whereas, mm -hmm. <clears throat> uh, you know, so so almost by default, because Rose isn't like the main companion of that season, she has to have like a lesser ending, which is kind of a shame mm. because when she left in series two, that's like probably one of the best endings of a companion we've ever had. It's only one of the most memorable. So it's, yeah. but then, but then, in end of time, I think she gets. I was, I was like, literally just about to bring it up. It's almost like he's like, yeah, that that won't do, that won't do for my rose. So in yeah. end of time, he gives her just the most beautiful like little cap to like that, that yeah. whole rose experience. Yeah, and I, you know, I remember um, there was an interview with Stephen Moffat where he was talking about Day of the Doctor. And he talked about how he wanted to bring Billy Piper back, but he didn't want to bring Rose Tyler back. Um, 
and he specifically mentioned the end uh, the the ending of end of time the ending of end of time yeah um the ending of the uh, end of time the very definitive end the end end of time part two the end um uh but yeah no he did mention the end of time with rose and said you know i think russell ended that story perfectly i think it came round full circle and i don't want to tamper with that i don't want to mess with that at all it's actually like how rusty davis knew he makes the very cheeky suggestion that Donna's going to remember everything in the end of time, but he doesn't undo it because it's like, if something works, don't tamper with it. You know, mm. I am. Um, I do kind of a question for you because you've mentioned how the character was a bit is, you know, contentious with mm. fans, yeah. um, but broadly quite popular. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, uh, in series two, her departure was water cooler kind of conversation and all that. Do you do you remember having any conversations about Rose's behavior as a character with people who were just kind of casual viewers? I think a lot of people didn't know any better because she was the first companion. I, I've heard a lot later. So when, when Martha came along, when Donna came along, when Amy came along, when whoever, and people have gone back and gone, oh, she's a bitch, you know, what a selfish cow she is. <laughs> but at the time, like, that was, like, the template, wasn't it? Because she was uh-huh. the companion. So, no, I didn't, I didn't really hear many grumblings, maybe from Doctor Who fans, but who cares what they uh-huh. think? Yeah, exactly. Who cares? Uh, what did did you did you like the character on broadcast originally? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and I still think um, the Rose Tyler of series one, the Chris Rexon season. I think she. Oh no, Donna Donna's my favorite. But I think she, that if, if if she just had series one. I think she would vie for being my favourite character. I think that's a terrific arc that she goes on in that season. And I think she's presented responsibly, uh, brilliantly, just so memorably. Like, I, I think she's a great character mm. in Series 1. And yeah. the fact that the, the that so many people fell in love with her, like, like the, the in for the series was Rose. Let's not forget that. It wasn't the Doctor. Yeah. It was called Doctor Who. The episode was called Rose. And so if people yeah. weren't yeah. on board with Rose's journey, then that series would have, wouldn't have worked at all. Yeah, well, why don't we start with Rose? Because you rewatched that quite recently uh, uh, when we were talking about watching Rose Tyler stories. Mm. You went back to Rose, didn't you? I what did you think of it? Uh, it, do you know what? I think that the the book has changed my opinion on the episode. You know, oh, the the book is so good. The book is brilliant, and the book is better. But I think because okay, so um, I have a friend who absolutely read the Target novels before watching the TV stories. Yeah, really? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, because they were they were widely available in the seventies, and the episodes weren't. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. I thought you meant um, they had read the novelizations of the new series. Oh, no, no, sorry. So okay. had... The classics. The classics. Oh, and, okay, okay. And so he can see in his mind's eye what the novel, like, stimulated in his head whilst he's watching the episodes. And, uh, mm-hmm. and and that makes the experience more enjoyable because sometimes, you know, the difference between what's on the page and what's on the screen 
it's massive and i absolutely did that with rose this time i could see that massive ending with um <laughs> the wheel you know breaking off and crashing into the house of the parliament and uh mm. and yeah and it really enhanced my enjoyment of it but purely on a character level oh, oh it's amazing man, it's just so well done it's so well done <laughs> and we never ever lose rose's point of view throughout that entire episode mm. and it's just absolutely the right decision because you know i know some people love rose some people a bit kind of more and eh, the series gets it finds its gets the wind in its sails a little bit later in series one but i think russell's instincts in terms of reintroducing the show from rose's point of view is absolutely the right call and absolutely essential to the show's continued success because you um, framing it around you know uh, the whole beginning of the episode is about introducing like her life. Uh, you know, she has a boyfriend. She lives at home with her mum. She's in a department store job. It's all fairly, it's very characterful, but in, in a more traditional Doctor Who story, you would get rid of that stuff. Yeah. And that is, and yet that's the material for, that we frame the show through. Um, I remember uh, uh, Jamie Matheson at a convention talking about his Doctor Who episodes, and he was told, "Plot, plot, plot. If there's um, if there's stuff to go, it's character, right?" So mm -hmm. that that was the approach later on. That was most definitely not the approach at the beginning. Mm -hmm. It was it was character, character, character. Oh, do you know what? There's a plot about the Autons. Who gives a shit? Anti-plastic. There you go. The important mm -hmm. thing about this episode is Rose's decision to walk into the TARDIS at the end. Mm -hmm. I yeah. I I mean I'm not going to get bogged too down in the comparison the comparisons there because I can kind of see why uh, in Flatline that would be the case. But I I think you're broadly speaking correct. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, certainly with something like Rose, it's so important to frame it from her point of view. But it makes the introduction of the Doctor so much more effective, yeah. doubly so. Because, I mean, how... It would just be less interesting if we begin in the TARDIS already, um, you know, with Christopher Eccleston, you know, doing that thing in the end of end of the world where he's like to tossing that yeah. ball on the console up and down. In, in the um, end of time, you've earned that moment because you've gone on that journey and she's made that choice to go into mm. the TARDIS. So that's satisfying. In the TV movie, where it's exactly that, it opens with the Doctor in the TARDIS, go, you know, that voiceover saying, you know, the Martha, the Daleks, you know, Oh, shit. You know? <laughs> Imagine if Christopher Eccleston had come along and taken Rose's hand, but instead of saying run, he had just gone, I need a beryllium time clock. <laughs> or the episode opened with Paul McGann in the TARDIS. You know, um, yeah. Oh, my God, it would be dreadful. It would be awful. Oh, no, it wouldn't be Paul McGann. It would be John Hurt. Yeah, it would be John Hurt. Run! <laughs> Getting getting mown down by a hail of bullets and, and you know, the yeah. London streets. Oh, God. Oh, no. It's like Doctor Who. In the, it would be like Doctor Who made by edgy people in the 90s. Yeah, wait, that's, it does rather um, expose those bizarre creative choices they made in the TV yeah. movie. Oh, and, and, then he, and then he regenerates into Paul McGann. No, wait, sorry. He then regenerates into, into Christopher Eccleston halfway through the episode. 
because we need to introduce the concept of regeneration. Of course, yeah, yeah. And then he's got about twenty minutes of technobabble to. That's to what make the show's long. about, yeah. But um, um, what I really loved was uh, Rose was presented as like a normal <clears throat> kid, but really smart with lots of questions um, and like a drive <clears throat> to figure out what's going on, and I really like that. Um, mm. The sequence that I thought was the best sequence in Rose was her when she dashes into the TARDIS. Because I feel like we did something we've not really done before where she runs in and then the camera's on her face. So we're not seeing the TARDIS, we're seeing her reaction to it. And then she's straight outside and like there's like a long shot of her running around it. And then we go, oh, in, yeah. the camera pulls back, we see this incredible set. And then she's almost like in tears, isn't she? She's like, she is overwhelming. Oh, she's shell-shocked. But, totally. that, but that, like, think of, uh, I don't know, think of, like, Perry going into the title. Or anyone like, like, we haven't done this for such a long time, the companion coming in, and it is like a shock. Oh, and again, it's this, it, that's one of the instances where the writing is just so smart. By Because we're sticking with Rose's point of view, um, more or less, um, you know, we see her run it because it's, you know, it's introducing the concept of the TARDIS being bigger on the outside, mm. uh, bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. Um, so we see her go in and she kind of pulls the face and, and you'll kind of, but you don't see what she's seeing. Yeah. So you're like, what is it? Yeah. And then you see her going outside and just kind of touching, touching the box. And do you know the, you joy of like, the joy what of that? The joy of that. What is it? What is it? Is like, is for the fans, it's like, I want to see the TARDIS. Just show me the freaking TARDIS. And for the new fans, like the new ones watching this, it's like, well, what's she seeing? What is it? You know, like, like, yeah. And then of course you go through the doors again and you're introduced to one of the great, the greatest concepts for a TV, for like oh, a spaceship ever. So good. So good. But, um, Okay, so what, what I've kind of done here, I don't know how you want to do this, but I've, I've basically watched scenes from a lot of episodes in series one and two, and I've kind of like um, jotted down memorable moments or things that just haven't been done before. Because I think uh-huh. Rose as a character took the series to some really unexpected and new places, like, like exploring the companion role in a really fresh way. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, um, do you remember the uh, the whole sequence in the end of the world where she is thinking about the future and the fact that her mom is dead in the future? Like, yeah, we've never had a moment yeah. like we've never had a moment like that before. You know, where oh, where the consequences of traveling into the future is brought to such a kind of personal level. Yeah, and the actually the bit I think about. Because I actually rewatched the entirety of the end of the world, uh, and beyond just how great I mean, we haven't even mentioned how great Billy Piper is because it almost goes without saying. Yeah. Um, but I'm well, sure we'll talk more about her as a performer later. And and it's worth talking about that you know that massive um, overreaction from fandom as usual about you know a pop star in Doctor Who. What the fuck? Mm. You know. <laughs> yeah. And they and Russell did it again in years and years. Got a pop star as um as the lead as the lead actor. Well, they did it again with Catherine Tay. Amazing. They did it again with um. Oh my God, I forgot his name. Graham. What's his name? What Bradley Walsh? Thank you. Amazing. And I'm sure they'll do it again with the new guy. 
Oh, and they got Matt Lucas as well. Oh, yeah, Matt Lucas. Amazing. You know, like... But anyway, sorry, you, you were talking about the end of the world. Yeah. No, but the bit I that really struck me was... I mean, obviously that bit where she's going nine billion years later and, um, you know, my mum's dead and I just talked to her on the phone. Is That's just a scene you, you wouldn't get in the old show. No. Um, you wouldn't get Tegan... Jav- I mean, you, you wouldn't get Tegan Javanka calling up her aunt um, on Castro Valva going, how are you? Wednesday. Oh, my God, that would be hilarious. With, that, with Tegan, <laughs> she freaking loses her arm, right? And and, mm. and has a second to grieve. And then five seconds later, she's like, Adric and Nissa have gone looking for the master. And it's like, what? Like, if Rose lost her mom... You know, like that—that mm. that would be the episode. You know, like mm. we did have an episode about Rose losing her dad. Yeah, and but it's one of the things that they Russell puts a lot of emphasis on in in, in his version of the show, um, which is firstly, you know, he highlights the qualities they bring, uh, like you know, Rose's intelligence, her intuition, um, her kind of bravery. Uh, you know, I got the bronze. Um, yeah. Uh, but also, it they go. I think part of what it, it is the family, but what it introducing the companions' family is a big thing. Yeah. But it, it 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 what that does show is it shows the characters' foundation of their point of view. You know. Um. So you know, Rose goes into the future and she think and what she wants to do is call her mum and they talk about washing on Wednesday. Well, it's just that beautiful uh, contrast. You're in this amazing set with like the, the sun expanding and the earth in the background. And then it cuts to inside Jackie's washing machine. And I don't know if the contrast between like the amazing and the mundane has ever been so pronounced in an episode of Doctor Who. Mm. Yeah. And I it just really, it's, it's just, one of those things that captures the way Doctor Who can play with so many tones mm. um, and diff- and kind of contrast and jar different things off each other. Um, but no, the scene I also found super interesting um, was the bit where Rose asks about why everybody's speaking English. Oh, yeah. And the, do- and, and the Doctor, and, you know, actually this that scene aged very very well um uh where you know the doctor says oh does the sci-fi explanation of it's the telepathic circuits um and rose goes hang on your machine got inside my head without my permission and just changed it yeah um and 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 you know it's just it's just one of those things that um, you wouldn't get with an with a with another companion. They just go, oh great, we can now speak English. Yeah, uh, um, there, there was I think there was a a fault in the writers in the the public have become used to the concept of the TARDIS, and so there's just this assumption that the characters will as well in the classic series later on. Yeah, every now and again I... they'll pull back and do like Tegan's reaction, which is like shock horror. But it's very, very rare. Yeah.
I but one of the things the end of the world does really well because it's the story is all about taking this girl who lives on an estate a council estate. She um, works in retail. Um, she has a steady relationship with her boyfriend, and then plastic men turned up, and then the doctor literally takes her to the zaniest yeah. future imaginable. But it's not just zany. It's not like I mean, it is kooky and eccentric and weird. They're literally in a year where slash Apple is in the year title, um, but it's. It's, over, it's, also, it's overwhelming for her, though, isn't it? Do you remember when she's seeing all those aliens? And it, it, it literally dawns on her, the madness that's around her. And she has to leave the room. Yeah. Like, it's so much. Yeah, and there's, and there's that shot of her just being, you know, it's, it's when um, uh, Tainted Love is playing. And she's just walking around and looking at all these aliens. And it just, it's just too much. And she says, doesn't um, she, the aliens are so <laughs> alien. Like, that's yeah. such a great line. But that, yeah. I think oh, that's, I think that's what you and I would feel like if you and I were forced into that insane situation, it would be overwhelming. Mm. And I'm going to make an unpleasant co- comparison now. And I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but the same they do do the same trick with Clara in the Rings of Akaten, and yet she's in that market going, "Oh yeah, woo, fun," you know. And you know that's a nice reaction to what she's seeing because mm-hmm. it is terrific. But I think Roses is probably the more realistic. Sure. Um... Totally. Um, but you, at the same time, you know, companions are allowed to have different responses. Yeah. Um, you don't want to do everybody being kind of boggle-eyed and uh, in being in outer space every single time. But well, you're, yeah, look at, you're look right. Look at Adam. Is... He walks out and he just thanks, doesn't he? So, what was that? Adam. Look at Adam in The Long Game. He walks out and he just faints. He's your boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> not, not anymore. Uh, okay. Um, but what, sorry, but, go what, sorry, just very quickly. I'll just finish my point. Um, very quickly. But, you know, it's that thing where they're being introduced to all the aliens, like the Moxa Balhoon and all that kind of stuff, and they're doing their introductions to the Doctor. And I can't remember what it is exactly, but she says... says something to like he's blue (laughs) uh and you just kind of realize i would be that eloquent i think in that situation yeah and it's just in moments like that you realize oh yeah that's totally what i would be thinking like you know it's not like oh you know who is the face of Bo? it's like that's a face that's a giant head in a jar (laughs) I think there is a an absolute um, intention to have the casual viewer be able to watch this and be Rose. Like there is an there is a real intention for uh, as as a way into the series and the madness of it. Uh, you know, future, past, bigger on the inside, monsters, all of this is to be able to see the series through Rose eyes in series one. And, mm. it's, and it's done exceptionally well, because a lot of people got on board with it, but would never seen the show before. Mm. Uh, well, I've got a question for you then, Ooh. in that case. Um, w- why does she divide opinion then? Oh, it's, it's series two, without a shadow of a doubt. It's series mm. two, and I've got so much to say about that. Um, but do you want to keep going through series one? 
I want to talk about Father's Day. Okay. Oh, but wait, then you're skipping all over Aliens of London. Oh, okay. Well, if you want to talk about it, are we going to walk walk through every single episode? Not every single one, but let's let's do the biggies. Yeah. Okay. Uh, oh so, yeah, yeah. Because like yeah, she. I'll I'll let you start. Well, it's just the, and it is genius. It's genius because it's simple, but it's so like it opens up so many like possibilities. Is the idea of taking her home a year too late? Very very yeah. simple. Uh, beautifully played. Like the shock of it when he wants him to smile. He's like, oh, sorry. It's a year too late. And Jackie's a mess, isn't she? And she's got no makeup on. There's flyers everywhere. Nikki's been treated terribly. And there are serious bloody consequences for her going. That's never been done before. Yeah, well, it's not just consequences for her. It's kind of, uh, you know, dropping Sarah Jane off in Aberdeen. And it's kind of played for a laugh. But you're not... Um, and it is, and it's a funny joke. Yeah. Um, um, but you know, it, it's just doing that thing where, and it's something I quite like in, uh, in comedy, but also just in drama, essentially, especially when it's dealing with something heightened like Doctor Who, because Do- Doctor Who all of the time is exaggerated and heightened. Yeah, of course. It can be, it, it's, it, you know, you can have characters with depth and authenticity, but they they exist in an, exaggerated world indeed uh, that I, is, mean, I mean the that premise is... the premise of the show absolutely just like confirms that you know <laughs> yeah but it's it's doing stuff that that what that does in a what they do in aliens of london is take something take a they take a sci-fi thing which a kind of savvy possibly sci-fi viewer but also just an audience viewer just kind of would take for granted of oh yeah they're in the future and then taking the the implications of disappearing for a year yeah. to its logical extreme of just going well of course mickey's been you know in, investigated by the police of course J- jackie is in you know she's probably had a, an absolute breakdown because her daughter disappeared yeah. for a year and she's got and, like and that, flyers slap, and fl- that slap she gives the doctor is um you know like yeah but like it's interesting because Ace in Survival, there's a scene where Patterson says to Ace, "Oh, your mum had you down as a missing person." But that story absolutely is not telling that story. It's just a, yeah, yeah. a, a throwaway moment. Whereas this yeah. is this is the you know structured around the idea of her being away for a year. Yeah, and admittedly in Survival, you know, Ace does run into her kind of old friends from um perivale there's that good girl out on the uh, kind of what is that a cafe or something oh yeah that, uh, that uh, and they have a quick chat and she's like oh yeah we you know what you said oh we thought you just left um do you know what the line is what what is it she goes, well, we thought you were dead or you'd gone to birmingham <laughs> great line <laughs> god bless you rona monroe um but no, it's this thing where you know it's it's mentioned, but it's not it's it's not dwelt on. Mm. Uh, uh, they don't do, so dwelt. I, that's not a real word. Dwe- they didn't dwell. No, wait, I don't know. Yeah, no, it is a word. Joe's nodding at me. Um, no, I'm just like listening to you. <laughs> um, uh, but they don't dwell on it. That's it. Um, yeah. For very long. I think dwelt would be um, the, the past tense. 
Yeah, they don't do, but they don't really dwell on. They don't put much dramatic emphasis on the idea. Whereas what Russell has done has gone. No, no, no. She's been gone for a year. Of course, this is where we should be putting the dramatic emphasis of the story. And I love. And he pulls two brilliant um, tricks in that. One is Rose being so arrogant as to say, "Aliens and monsters, and I'm the only one who's ever seen them." Ah, ah, <laughs> that shit going over. And that's hilarious. Like punch her bubble yeah. straight away. But no, the the big trick he pulls in this episode is Jackie. And how Jackie is the person at home saying to the doctor, is she going to be safe? Like, mm. that's never been asked before either. Like, Oh, and there's that. Oh, sorry. I'll let you finish. Well, and, and I think something really clever is done here. Like, Aliens Island of World War Three, it gets such a rap. It's, I just think it's, it's brilliant, Telly. Um, where the real stab, the emotional stab of that story, it's not rose it's jackie and it's that bit at the end where jackie says don't go sweetheart and then she says you know is she going to be safe is she going to be oh i'll come back in 10 seconds and then she waits 10 seconds and it's heartbreaking and and this is this is completely turning on its head the companion role because suddenly mm. suddenly we're very aware of the people that are left behind and that's never been the case before you know we didn't cut to aunt lavinia going, oh, well, 10 seconds, and maybe Sarah Jane will be back. Mm, yeah, and like it or not, um, I think Rose does set the precedent for the rest of the show, including in the Moffat years, yeah. where um, the... Comp and, you know, uh, they are the way they approach the importance of a companion is different, but you can't... And, you know, the way Clara Oswald is important is different from the way that rose is important but you can't have i don't see a version of the show where um you know you have you know amy and clara who are so important to the fabric of those stories without having rose as the foundation upon which the show's building from can you imagine right the bitch fight that would occur if rose and amy had met Oh my god. <laughs> Sparks would fly. I think universes would burst and bubble. Yeah, yeah. It would eradicate 50 timelines. He's my childhood hero while I'm fucking him. You know, like, oh my god, it would be the best night ever. Sorry, that was a good yeah. tangent. You wanted to talk about Father's Day. Yeah, because I rewatched that and I haven't actually seen that story in years. Um, but it I found that one very that, that one really interested me, and I found it very emotionally affecting. I know you're not a big fan of it. I know you quite dislike it. I, well, I, I watched one scene, <laughs> and and like weirdly, watching a single scene in isolation, I I thought uh, I really liked the performances in it, and it's the bit where she's saying like my daddy, and he's going off to sacrifice himself. Um, mm -hmm. Let let us be very clear, yeah? I think mm -hmm. the idea of Rose having an, uh, a version of her dad in her head that her mum's put in there, basically, having that bubble burst and finding out that her dad is actually a bit disappointing, and then at the end mm -hmm. of that episode, him coming good and kind of sacrificing his life for everybody, I think that's, uh, uh, as dramatic beats, that's excellent. 
it's the execution of that episode I have issues with. But anyway, sorry, you, you tell me. Yeah. I no, I I found that episode very emotionally affecting. Um, I, I you know the premise of it is fairly obvious. Of oh, I'm gonna go. Why don't I go back in time and get my save my dad? It's a very very obvious time travel premise. But if you're framing it through lens, uh, framing it through Rose's point of view, of course that's what she's going to think. So it's an inevitable. Um, thing that the show has to tackle of why can't you do this in time travel? Um, do you think that's why and, she goes in Rose? He says, by the way, it also travels in time. Do you think that's why yeah. she makes that choice? Oh, no, no. The, the doctor explicitly mentions that in the episode, which was she's like, when I said this travels in space, you said no. When I said this travels in time, you said yes. Right, yeah. Um, so they underline it very precisely there. And even Rose says it wasn't the plan, but it wasn't a plan, but I saw an opportunity. Um, but it, it's one of the things in, I think it gets at one of these things, which it's one of the tensions of the character, which is Rose kind of being impulsive and a bit thoughtless and sometimes selfish um there is most and, definitely an argument to be made for that and i don't know this episode i found very interesting in the sense that she goes she asked to go back in time technically three times because they go to the wedding mm. and sneak in at the back when um uh pete gets jackie's maiden name wrong oh, yeah. at the Jesus. altar <laughs> Um, she's so uh, used to him being disappointed she just goes oh just get on with it (laughs) yeah it's close enough yeah yeah I think she says that oh it's close enough Uh, I'm uh, what did she say she said something like oh it's good enough for Queen Die yeah (laughs) Um, um, and then Rose requests to be taken to the day that he died and then asked to be taken there again. I I understand Um, why she asked that question. I have no issues with Rosa. I have issues with the doctor. I think he's making staggeringly bad choices there, but go ahead. Um, And of course she kind of goes, well, all this, these time travel rules be damned. Uh, I'm going to save my dad because that's what I want to do regardless of the risk. And even though you, it's a selfish thing to do. You understand why she wants to do that. Yeah. Um, but the the th- I think it was it was one of the it was the I think I think it was the only note I really wrote down, which was the whole thing about Rose being selfish. Um, in particularly in series two, was that I think she I mean I think there's evidence that she's quite selfish in series one. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And, I, and I want to get that, to that definitely. Um, I, I, and I don't want to preempt any points if you, uh, if you want to get into more thorough detail later, but she is also selfish in series two. But what, the thing I find interesting is that as far as I can tell, the reason why has Rose being a bit being selfish in series two is more of a problem is more ba- is basically because of the doctor she's yeah, paired with definitely um um because uh you know you've got christopher eccleston who you know obviously loves rose but jars and kind of is a bit grouchy around yeah. her and call calls her out 
Whereas David Tennant's Ser- Series doctor, two. Just... Let's let's not sugarcoat this. They are in love. The doctor and his yeah. companion oh. are head over heels, bonkers in love with each other. And people don't like that. It's tough. It's literally played that way. It's written that way. I watched it this week. They are in love. You know. Whereas yeah. Eccleston's Doctor and Rose, I think it that's building, you know? Yeah. Um uh, so yeah, you know, you have a doctor in series two who is happily in lockstep with her kind of consequences be damned. But in but also the I think I think a difference you get uh, another difference you get is that and you do see it in something like Father's Day, which is that Rose sees the immediate consequences of her actions yeah. in something like Father's Day. Um, so she learns, uh, she learns why she can't yeah. just go back and, and save her dad because it, it, you know, it's that great line where it's just like the whole world's different because he's alive and this is what happens. Alternatively, um, in series two, they do a lot of, uh, questionable things and they're not really, they don't see the consequences of that until doomsday. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it, but and it's basically that thing where, you know, they are punished by the end of the series in the most painful and emotional and dramatic way. Yeah. But the arc, but for that to work, it means you have an entire series where it's building towards that punishment. But to build that ending requires for them to be going unpunished for quite outrageous behavior up until well, that point. I really get to that because i might fight you on that point but occasion i mean you know in tooth and claw rose is directly called out by queen victoria at the end yes. for her behavior yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and they that... are they are kind of punished aren't they in terms of like she doesn't know they've got a time machine she like hmm. so so by banishing them from england that's technically supposed to be like quite a serious punishment yeah um but otherwise i think they she more or less is allowed to get away with things and by extension it means she in some respects stops learning i think or... the, the the punishment in series two is is the 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 danger of them losing each other so it's like when rose loses her face in the idiot's lantern when the doctor goes down the hole in the impossible planet like that's that's always like like the the consequence of their bad behavior is that you know they're in perilous situations and they could be dead by the end of the day you know yeah and totally yeah uh, but and the uh, but the points where in the arc where that is really quite grounded in in a, in, a, in a good way um is when they return to earth um so um but because series two is a bit more outer space outer time than series um one those moments are a bit more few and far between so in christmas invasion for example um mickey says you're never gonna stop you two doesn't he at the end he's just like you two you're just gonna keep going um when they're in the snow and of course you get that beautiful scene in uh, Army of Ghosts, where Jackie has that whole thing oh, about, you know, gorgeous. someday you'll just be some yeah. that strange woman. But they are being called out. Let's not let's not mistake the fact that they are being called out by Queen Victoria, by Mickey, by Jackie. Everybody's seeing this. Everybody's seeing what. It's not like Rusty Davis isn't aware of how he's portraying them. Um, mm-hmm. 
But I just think it's a staggeringly brilliant long game for that ending, which literally rips your heart out. Because yeah. all the way through, you're like, do I like these two? Do I like these two? And at the end, you're like, oh, no, I really wish they could be together. It's really clever. For It is clever. I think it's it's a bold thing to do with the character, but it. I think for some people what it did is it actively... To get to that point, it required you burning up a lot of the goodwill that Rose Tyler as a character had mustered. Of fandom. Let's not mistake <laughs> okay. that. I still... No, you go and look at all the polls. All the polls of, of people writ large, yeah? So I'm talking about the general audience. They still talk about the Doctor and Rose. The 10th Doctor and Rose. That's where it's at. So it's burning up all the right. goodwill of fandom. And they're always... Grumpy. All right, Fine. All right, fine. It burned up my goodwill, Joe. Is that okay. what you want well, me to say? There you go. <laughs> Glad you said it. Um, um, can no, I, no, can I, I return us to I, Series 1 quickly? Sure, sure. Absolutely. Because, uh, well, I mean, like, you know, we we touched on Series 2 there. Because uh, we skipped over Dalek, and I think there's a really important moment in Dalek as well, where the Doctor thinks that Rose has been killed and he has mm. an extreme emotional reaction to that and i can only think of one or two moments in the classic series there's a bit in the seeds of doom where sarah's taken off i think he thinks to be killed and he's screaming his head off like screaming her name um and there's a bit that that bit in case of androzani episode three where he's like, you know, my friend, like, got her into this, you know, and he's he's like, you're not gonna stop me now. He's high emotion though, isn't he? Like, but it's only a few points, and the series from this point on, that's basically the Doctor's reaction to companions in peril, isn't it? It's like <clears throat> he loves those people, and and he's gonna be fucking pissed if if anything happens <laughs> to them. Um, and it's just a, a terrific piece of acting from Christopher Eccleston, but it is a really new way of the Doctor reacting. Like, I don't see Peter Davison doing that every time Tegan's in peril. He's more like, oh, well, <laughs> did she die? Oh, God, no, she's still alive. Oh, well. Oh, let's just send her back to Heathrow where she clearly would rather be. Um, <laughs> but... But also, but yeah, interesting you should mention Dalek because that's the story where the Dalek says, uh, you know, says that she's um, the woman he loves. Yeah. Uh, and it's actively, it's said that out loud for the first time. And she's time. bold enough to step in front of him carrying a gun at the end of that and, mm. and, and being in the way of the Dalek and saying, you know, he's not the one pointing the gun, you are. So the kind of like the role of the companion has been escalated as well in this first series. Yeah, I re I realize this is a bit of a fan. Com this is a fan complaint, and I don't really care for it. But I thought I'd just raise it out just for the sake of discussion, mm. which is I, I feel like one of the things I hear from certain corners is because obviously the story of Rose Tyler is written as a love story between the Doctor and Rose. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, uh, and I know, and I feel like I've heard over the years, some people, some fans, I should say, going, well, what makes her so special? Why her? Why, when he's traveled with all these other remarkable people, why is she, of all people, this fairly ordinary girl, 
admittedly a resourceful girl, a, a resourceful woman, um, why is she suddenly the centre of the Doctor's universe? And his love as well. Why not? Well, you could point yeah, at any relationship a... and say to that person, well, why did you choose that person out of everyone you could have had? Like, mm. I, th I think, like, maybe her ordinariness is a strength and not a weakness. Uh, yeah. And I think maybe she was there at the right place at the right time. So it's on the back of all this time war stuff. And he's, you know, yeah. battered and bruised. And here's this fresh faced, lovely girl who's ready for an adventure, you know, and that's very appealing. And, and he can present himself like as with a mask on as this great adventurer mm. rather than a war torn victim. Um, I think yeah. they've, they've kind of lean into all of this and maybe just because they get on really well. And they like yeah. each other. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good point of just what, well, why not? Yeah. Um, uh, and also, yeah, and I do think Russell. I'm does glad it wasn't Adric. <laughs> I um, I'm burning up a star just to say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh God, who else? Uh, hang on, who else could it have been? Uh, oh, I can understand if it was Ben actually. Um. <laughs> maybe jamie i think i think the second doctor and jamie were deeply in love and i don't care what anyone says i don't think they're at jamie? it don't get me wrong i don't think they're shagging but i think they're very much in love with each other yeah yeah, yeah. sarah jane smith obviously although we'll get to that as well the third doctor and joe the fourth doctor and Roman. Yeah. see there is precedent Oh, but it's, uh, well, actually, if you just want to go off the actual written word of the text itself, the Aztecs. There we go. There we go. Yeah. Um, oh, I, I suppose, yeah, I'm not, oh, I'm not suggesting there isn't a precedent for, for the Doctor's affection, but um, we've never really seen him falling madly in love with someone. I think maybe I, he's delicate. He's vulnerable here yeah yeah and i think that's the smart thing that russell does which is that part of what makes the doctor vulnerable is this huge unknowable incomprehensible war that he's just been through that's left him I, I very emotionally you, sorry you can probably see the moment where he absolutely falls for her and that's at the end of the end of the world where he's going oh my people are dead there was a great time war and he's being all portentous and and and, and epic and she's just like oh can you smell chips and he, and, and he yeah. just grins straight away he's straight pulled out of that kind of serious attitude and uh, they go off mm. arm in arm and it's like yeah see that's yeah. what she brings yeah, and that that scene is in some in some ways feels to me the equivalent, the new series equivalent of, you know, Tom Baker going, "I'm a Time Lord," and Sarah Jane going, "Oh, I know you're yeah. a Time Lord." You don't understand the implications. Ah, uh, but imagine Ooh. if Sarah, you know, I walk in eternity, and Sarah Jane's like, "Yeah, let's go get some chips." Yeah. <laughs> well, different times, but it's the same sort yeah. of thing. It's punching the bubble, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's the same. It's the same beat. Can I um, um, can I bring your attention to Boomtown? Yes, you can. I haven't revisited Boomtown in a very long time, but well, go go I, right ahead. I think Boomtown is where you really see that kind of selfish Rose emerging, um, or the depths of her selfishness, because essentially she drags Mickey all the way from London to Cardiff 
to flaunt mm -hmm. the adventure, the great adventure she's having with the Doctor, and then mm -hmm. just wants to walk away from him again after you know, having like a shag in a hotel or whatever they're going to do. And it's like, like, that's treating somebody appallingly. Like, you know, I've, I've never been that person in a relationship, but I know people that have been. And Jesus Christ, what Mickey should have done to her is what Martha does to the Doctor in The Last of the Time Lords. <laughs> so I'm off. Yeah, get out. Yeah. I'm out of here, my big, my stupid yellow car. But weirdly, in that, there's, you know, Mickey's like, oh, go on, go after the Doctor, it's never going to be me. And I think the sympathies with Rose and not Mickey. Yeah, I guess. Um, the show has a very that I, the first two seasons just have an odd relationship with Mickey. I think. Yeah, I, I, just, uh, I, I don't think it's a fault because I think it makes you feel a bit uncomfortable, and that's quite nice sometimes as well. But I, I think Russell T Davis enjoys empathising with people that behave badly sometimes. Um, yeah. because, uh, and this is kind of going into my argument of like the series two rows is I think he likes portraying people that are real, not sympathetic, real. So yes, they can be good and heroic and lovely, but they can also be ugly and, and selfish and egocentric and, and only see what's within their peripheral vision. And that's a real person. And I'm going to make a stab now in, like, in the middle of this episode and say to you, I think Rose Tyler is probably the most authentic human being that has ever appeared in Doctor Who because she has both sides to her. She's not always portrayed in a very pretty way or in a, in a heroic way. And I think that is for the good. Uh, so, by which I am, um, uh, I'm assuming you're not meaning to say other subsequent characters haven't been written with kind of grounded flaws i suppose i don't think amy or clara were ever deliberately written in an unsympathetic way i think it's a fault of the writing that they do come across unsympathetically <laughs> sometimes but i don't think they're deliberately written in an unsympathetic way what about martha and donna uh less so than rose Less so. I think I think Martha's basically painted, and it's not nice, but she's painted as a bit of a victim in series three. And you yeah. always are you always sympathize with the victim, I think. With Donna, mm -hmm. she is she portrays like all those characteristics that we don't really like him if she's boisterous and opinionated and a bit narky, but she doesn't think that she's any good at all. So immediately your sympathies with her. She's always going, I'm nothing, I'm nobody, I'm just a temp. And so you love that character because she's kind of kicking out of the world, but she doesn't really think any. And you, you, and you understand why, because Sylvia's always down on her. So you know that, mm -hmm. where that voice in her head has come from. It's from her mother. Mm -hmm. um, and what where, about the fan? No, I don't think, I don't think they're ever portrayed unsympathetically. And, and that's a fault, I think. I, think. I don't think anybody is completely do-gooder. You know, like mm -hmm. me, Joe Ford. Yeah, I I try to be a nice person, 
sometimes I get jealous, sometimes I get angry, sometimes I behave appallingly, sometimes I treat people appallingly. That's a person. And I think Rose is a person, you know, and I can mm-hmm. and, and I don't always like what she's doing, but I absolutely believe how she's behaving. Like when, so when Mickey comes into the TARDIS in series two and and she treats him like the third will, I have absolutely treated somebody like that. I, I'm not proud of it, but I've done it. And I think we I think people see how Rose is behaving and it's like a mirror to the worst excesses of their own behavior. And people don't want to be reminded of that. But mm-hmm. in terms of portraying a, an authentic person on these travels, I think it's the best the show's ever done. Uh, so it's not necessarily that she's the best companion per se, but the best person that the show has realised. I absolutely believe in Rose Tyler as a person. Yes. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. you know, and 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 I I I do believe in Martha and Donna as well because I've met those people too. Uh, the impossible girl, the, the, all, I, 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 I just don't believe in any of that, you know, I just don't. Mm-hmm. Whereas, um, I, I, but I think there was an effort with Clara in series eight to kind of like try and make her a bit more unsympathetic, like making her a, a control freak all of a sudden and, you know, a narcissist mm-hmm. and all of this. I don't think it really worked because Jenna Coleman was never really going to play that. You know, she's lovely. Mm-hmm. Jenna Coleman's a lovely actress, and she's always mm-hmm. kind of trying to play a lovely character. Uh, whereas Billy Piper, mm-hmm. my God, does she lean into this in series two? You know, mm-hmm. she's a catty bitch in School Reunion. She's um, uh, dismissive of Mickey in the Cybermen two-parter. She's selfish and walks away from the Doctor. Um, you know, she... Well, it's, well, it's actually funny, um, with the, sorry to interrupt you, but you mentioned, um, oh, what was it you said earlier about, um, oh yeah, in Boomtown when, um, uh, she kind of expects Mickey to turn up? Is that what you were saying? Yeah, well, no, she invites him, doesn't she? She goes, oh, I need my passport, yeah. and then goes, oh, I didn't need my passport, I've just dragged you in yeah. to rub it in your face. <laughs> But she also she also does that <laughs> she also does that to the doctor as well in Father's Day, uh, where um, the doctor says I'm leaving and she says No, you're not. You're going to be back in five yeah. minutes. And when the doctor she's, does turn, she's self double around the corner. She's yeah, and when she that, yeah, and when the doctor does double around the corner when the the reapers are turning up or whatever they are, um, she has the smuggest look on her face when she hears the doctor going rose rose and who hasn't been that person i'm sorry i've been that person that's been like oh well you'll be back so like yeah. uh-huh. and who hasn't been the person that's like has something amazing going on in their life and posted it all over social media and gone look how amazing my life is <laughs> to the rest of you like it's not pretty <laughs> it's it's in fact mm-hmm. it's very ugly but it's real mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah is it very ugly though it's not the nicest side of humanity is it like to be jealous Mm. and self-centered and self-important but the doctor still you you know does still hold her very uh, very much on a pedestal uh unfortunately we've all been in love with that person as well you know that we probably shouldn't be (laughs) 
I what's that line in the long game where uh, he um, he says to Adam, "I only travel with the best." Oh, that, that's an ugly line, isn't it? That makes the Doctor ugly. Yeah, well, the Doctor's uh, you know, I think it's. I really want to jump in at that point and be like, "Well, what about Dodo and Atric and all the others?" Oh, you <laughs> uh, you, you want to be you want to be Jackie giving um uh, the Doctor a bit of a slap there? Yeah. But you know, can I can I pull this back to um to like how amazing roads can be as well? Because let's yes. talk about the part of the ways. Mm. Um the sequence where um Rose is sent home by the doctor. Now that's never happened before, so that's another new way of, of dealing with a companion in a crisis. Like maybe the doctor should have said, Adric, look, just Get in the TARDIS. I'm going to send you back to Alzheimer's via the CVE because you've just done the calculations for it. Well done. Instead, no, he does. Um, but and that her reaction to that, like when she's screaming, "Take me back, take me back!" Like we've never, we, there's, there's never been material like that before, has there? No, absolutely not. And then when she uh, confronts um, Mickey and Jackie in the cafe. And that whole sequence of like, that's how good the Doctor is. And, you know, she's being both wonderful because she's celebrating the Doctor and how great he is and how much, like, she wants to help him. And she's also being utterly self-centred and saying to these people, you know, because Jackie goes... You're all good now. Yeah, Jackie goes, I've worked in a shop. What's wrong with that? And and, and Mm. she basically, she is saying that. She's saying this is a better life, you know. Yeah, but it's part of what... um... The new series in general, but particularly in those first, I think in the in Russell's era especially, mm-hmm. um, it, the show is about the way the Doctor is a good influence on people. Uh, like the show becomes a lot, of, very heavily about the, about the influence the Doctor has on people, yeah. um, and that doesn't go away. That you know persists into the Moffat years and into the Chibnall era, I think, as well. Um, uh, since the Moffat era is is all is all about the Doctor's influence, and the Chibnall era is, uh, you know, is kind of about how the about the Doctor's influence is. Kind of, it's a bit more localized there, but it's about the Doctor's influence on his on her companions. Mm. Um, and on on but yeah especially in those russell years it's about the, how the doctor is able to influence people and sh- help them be their best selves i mean that, that um, year there, until Jeremy... she proves in that scene in the cabinet doesn't it? that year there has completely changed how she thinks about life and about how mm-hmm. how to behave and 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 to stand up and to you know and do the right thing Whereas before, she kind yeah. of would have just been like, oh, you know, terrible things happening in the world. Oh, well, that's over there. Yeah, but it's it's one of the things, you know, because I don't... Rose has never been one of my favourite... Compar- uh, com- I nearly said, co- said companion and characters at the same time, so I said characters. Oh, I thought you were going to um, say comparisons. I'm not, you're nothing like Rose, Jack, um, honestly. <laughs> uh, no, uh, <clears throat> Rose has never been one of my favourite companions. Uh, I think she's quite well written and has a lot of depth, but I've never been particularly enamoured with her, um, which is not to say that she's n- not well written. However, one of the things I do like about her portrayal, is, and I think it's quite nuanced, is about those years with her are about 
her how the doctor helps her become a, one of the best versions of herself in terms of her heroism she she he brings out her best qualities um and i think there is a nice thing where you know so you're you saying, do get you're saying see... tenant brings out her worst then not not necessarily i don't think it i mean yes in some instances yes totally i i don't think it brings it out but maybe it, um it, uh, exacerbates it a little bit more um but i think one of the things that the, the the nice nuance that Russell writes into Rose is that, you know, her winning qualities are obviously going to be brought to the forefront because that will, that's what the Doctor does. And also because this is a family show, we're always going to emphasize her more heroic qualities. But um, it's not written as if to imply her more selfish qualities went away you know um it's not saying you know she started traveling in time and space and therefore stopped becoming a selfish person yeah no no, no. she's like she still has the, the she's become she's a wonderful person and she's still she still all she's has very all these... she's very human yeah like yeah. you just said there yeah. like, she's not been one of she's not one of your favorites i wasn't sure where i stood with her until i did this prep because I don't think I've revisited oh, yeah. her as a whole, as a character. Um, I'm prepared to say now that I think after Ian and Barbara and Susan, she's the most pivotal companion um, in the entire series' run. And I think uh, whilst she is slightly unlikable at times, I think, I think she's a one-off. It's the one time where we've had a, a genuine person traveling the TARDIS for good or for ill and I don't think it's it can be repeated um but I think she's a tr she's an original character uh and and she did a like a lot of good for the show and completely revolutionized the companion role in Doctor Who uh, yeah yeah I would I don't think I disagree I the only thing I was curious and this is a, a slight tangent so i probably shouldn't dwell on it too long would you include ace in that lineup potentially oh, for sure yeah 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 ace ace is a is a very good companion i think she's um there and and they do something interesting with her in season 26 where the show is uh sometimes more about her than the doctor um, I don't think I was looking at the companion role in a particularly revolutionary way, though, when I was watching. It mm. was it was a, a, an intelligently written companion in the classic series mould. Because mm. hasn't Russell himself said that, you know, I, I not to in any way take away from anything that Russell did, but he said, um, hasn't he said that Ace was in some ways not a prototype, but the approach to that character yeah. kind of helped pave the way for a character like rose tyler with with like you know like ace makes bombs and has a baseball bat sticking out of her thing <laughs> and a ghetto blaster and, and lots of 80s ridiculous trappings um but essentially the core is is it's a, a london girl going on adventures and reacting kind of emotionally to what's happening yeah who I, has a bad relationship with her mother i just don't think the show was uh, in the place in the 80s to explore it in the same way they did with rose tyler 
And mm. Sophie Aldred herself says that she would have loved to have been able to play it more like Rose Tyler, i.e. a yeah. bit more lower class, you know, a bit more naturalistic dialogue. Well, uh, you know, it's interesting you should mention that, actually, because I feel like over the years at conventions and in interviews and commentaries, uh, and I think Liz Sladen has said this herself, um, a lot of companion actors have said, oh, if we were given the kind of material yeah. that, you know, Billy Piper was given. I've heard Janet Fielding um, say it a lot, that, like, she was written as a caricature and rose was written as a character and it's hard mm. to disagree with that yeah i think even liz sladen said that when she was on the set for school reunion and wasn't that part of why she came back was just of how well mm. how good the writing was for yeah. a character like rose tyler and sarah jane i i, I can only imagine so yeah jack mm. i've got a question for you yeah you uh, they don't seem to run out with you <laughs> know whether that's a compliment or an insult um <laughs> no answer that <laughs> answer that please okay no I, I was curious to see if you were going to keep pressing on it's a good thing well it keeps things flowing that's for sure um so the scene in new earth yeah i'm skipping forward to new earth the scene where they're on the apple grass so, so they're actually on a date like this is literally a date he's taking her to a beautiful setting yeah. they've got like a picnic blanket yeah <laughs> They're, yeah. they're, you know, giving each other moon eyes and all of this. And she says, like, you know, yeah, oh, I love this. CGI. I love this. I love traveling with you. Now, I've had to I've had to go back and look at my own review of this where I'm like, oh, pass the sick bucket. Ooh, you know, And but now I'm asking the question, why are we objecting to the fact that the doctor and, their, and his companion are enjoying traveling together? Like, what is wrong with us? Um, why, why is that a problem? Oh, because... Because we clearly can't have such a good time, so why should they? <laughs> Do you think that's the problem? Uh, no, that's that's a very facetious answer. Um, Do you think it's just it's just how it's presented, know. like like very kind of self satisfied? A little bit. I mean, it's to be honest, that's never been a particular problem with me. Even in something like Tooth and Claw, where I know they're being presented at their most smug and egotistical and kind of, you know, intentionally winding up um, Queen Victoria. I get, I totally get what they're going for. I personally still find it very enjoyable. Yeah, I do. Um, I do now. I think then I was just like, oh, get over yourselves. You know, maybe I was in a bad place. Yeah. <laughs> but like now I'm in a very uh, happy place, so I don't mind watching the Doctor yeah. and the Companion being happy. Yeah. I don't know. Um... I, I mean, I, I, don't, I really don't think I have an answer for it. I think it's just a preference thing. I think some of it is the syrupiness. I think maybe some people at the time were just not, a, were still adjusting to a version of the show where the doctor and the companion are so clearly in love right. uh, and reveling in each other's company. You know, uh, I've, I, you know what's interesting? No, no, no. Sorry, so, as I'm, well, I've heard a lot of people. So I've obviously talked to a lot of fans over the last couple of months, and I've heard a lot of people say that they had a bad reaction to that sort of domesticity and the romance of it and all of that. And you know, given what's come forward, because that kind of became the template, didn't it? A bit. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Going back and revisiting it, 
they love it now. You know, they really love it. And they, they, they think of like that angle of it. That's what makes that so unique because it's so well done. Um, mm. Well, and, and also, you know, I feel like their relationship, I mean, firstly, you know, time softens a lot of things just in general. Um, uh, but also I think it, it's not overbearing. It's less overbearing if you have been through Doomsday, quite frankly. Yeah. If you've been through the ending of Doomsday, you go back and you go, oh, look how happy they yeah. were. It's really nice. And at the end, she's there. It's not coming out of her nose, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, yeah. But like, I know where, you've where gone that on that the... journey, haven't you? You weren't that keen on the domestic stuff. And now you've taken a bit of a 180. Um, yeah, I, I, yes, I think so. I mean, I, I think I was just always very lukewarm to the companion stuff just because I was a teenager. I was like, no, let's go into space. That's more fun. I want more techno babble. Gimme. Do, do you know what? Right. Okay. So like, I'm going back to that whole thing about this being realistically depicted again. Yeah. Like who hasn't been that person? in a crowd uh, so i'm talking about this is fandom now looking at the the 10th doctor and rose being blissfully happy and going oh you know get over yourselves who hasn't been that person in a crowd looking at a couple that are blissfully happy and going oh, why are they so happy i hate yeah people. maybe the, you know like... maybe that's it um you know what i think you may be onto something there because people always have such mix have such a variety of responses to uh pda you know public displays of affection mm. um like i i know i have a friend and he and his girlfriend are always holding hands mm. they're always happy to kiss each other um um in public and i know some people are just like oh just stop it but then i know um, as well i've been on the other hand and i've you know i'm in a very happy relationship as we speak and I've been that person walking along the beach with my 27 year old fiance, who's bloody gorgeous, mm. and going, Oh, look mm. who, you know, oh, look. you know, he's freaking, and everyone else, you know, people are going, Oh, bastard, you know, like, I hate you. <laughs> I hate you, you 40 year old git, you know, like, do you know what I mean? Like, like, there, so maybe there's an element of that in here. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe, so, you know, in Army of Ghosts, when you see them frolicking around and being happy, going, how long am I going to stay with you forever? Oh, see, I like um, that. I really like that. Yeah, I think it's sweet. Um, should we, should we uh, talk about school union very quick? Well, I know we've done that in a lot of depth, but, like, you can't really talk about Rose without talking about the bitch fight for yeah. heaven. Yeah, because it, it is very catty. Should we, should we restage it? Um, hang on. Daleks! Go on. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, I met the Emperor. <laughs> um, oh, no, I can't remember what else they say. Oh, like I remember uh, it. Oh, oh. Uh, mummy. Uh, mummies. Um, uh, werewolves. The uh, Loch Ness Monster! <laughs> See it. Oh, yeah. Robots. <laughs> Me too. Robots. Lots of robots. But that, I mean, uh, that... that... Loch Ness... Do you not think that episode that portrays probably Rose at her least sympathetic? Yes, but but it all it, well, I'm not, it doesn't all come well by the end because 
Um, by the end of it, she's just now being she. Her, she's just shifted from being unkind to Sarah Jane to being mean to Mickey again. <laughs> but um, that again, that is so realistic. I've I've been like a part of a group, and they've been like, "Oh, can your ex come along?" And I'm like, "No, yeah, sure, fine, whatever." You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not it's not an unre- it's not a nice reaction, but it's not unrealistic. <laughs> um, like he was always yeah, going to be think... a third wheel in that TARDIS, wasn't he? He they are in love, and he was always going to be a third wheel, and he walked into that. Like let's let's not lie about that. He must have known. It's a... <laughs> but she was he was her boyfriend. <laughs> but how they treat him like a dog? Do you remember when he's holding that bit of the console, and he's like, "How oh, long? Okay. How long since I could have let go?" Twenty nine oh, minutes, half an hour. But it's just, it's just the thing. Oh, you say he's a third wheel, but really, it should be the Doctor who's the third wheel. I know, <laughs> but yeah, Rose... yeah. So it's, it's. But no, going back to answering your question, uh, with school reunion, uh, it is totally, and it's, I think it's a deliberate choice that Rose is very, you know, unsympathetic. Um, but they do. The, the the bit we were just kind of struggling to recite the whole kind of villains of the week kind of so one-upmanship yeah it's very funny but that that scene is deliberately written to be the the, the height and the end of it all in one go i mean people say muffins um, the where... sitcom writer that's the ultimate sitcom moment in doctor who that yeah but it's just like it's it's this moment where they both it's it's the moment where Rose is is trying mm-hmm. to get her knife in to Sarah yeah. Jane, and it literally just ends with them laughing at each other oh, in the most beautiful. affectionate way possible. Do you? I think as well uh, that I, portrays women. Yeah. Sorry, I keep interrupting you. I'm gonna let you talk. Sorry. Um. Uh. uh, uh well, that's that's. I'll have to find my thought again um it's always in my pocket um uh, yeah so um yeah no so um it builds up to this point where um you know they're at their rose is at her least pleasant to be around and the moment and it's the height of the conflict and it ends with them kind of laughing it off and just in and just kind of realizing how silly they're being mm-hmm. uh like com- of, of the about the doctor of all people and it's what and it, it's what gives the emotional space for the rest of the episode that allows um rose that means rose can ask sarah how long should i keep traveling with him or how long should i travel with him for uh, and Sarah saying yes. That's how that moment gets earned by yeah. Rose essentially going through this ring of fire of being totally unlikable for about thirty minutes. <laughs> but she does. She kind of learns it, doesn't she? You know that whole sequence, right? Yeah. I know many fabulous women, right? And I've seen <laughs> them both in that point where they're literally screaming at each other, and at that <laughs> point where they are just like uh, a deliriously wonderful combination laughing and poking fun at the men in the room i just again mm. it's so authentic it's so real mm-hmm. some women I... do not get on 
And through Rose, we see that portrayed very believably. Mm. I have a question for you, but um, what were you going to say before you interrupted me? <laughs> oh, well, I'm surprised you haven't um, thrown a question at me. Well, I do have a question, but I, I feel like you want me to ask you a different question. I'm surprised you haven't asked me uh, why I have such an issue with Amy um, basically stringing Rory along and going off with her, her doctor when I don't have an issue with Rose doing the same thing to Mickey and essentially falling in love with another man, why one's acceptable and one's not? Well, that's a good question. Why don't you answer it? Uh, huh? It's because I think Rose, the second Rose walked into the TARDIS, she was no longer in love with Mickey. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's the point where she's in love with the Doctor and, and that lifestyle. And like everything she does to Mickey after that is appalling. Don't get me wrong. Um, whereas in the other one, uh, with Amy, I, you know, she ultimately, the, other one. She, uh, the wench, she ultimately chooses, uh, Rory, but puts him through the ringer, like to get there and treats him really, really badly. Um, and if I was so, so if I was Mickey, yeah, <laughs> Mickey comes to the conclusion he's better off without Rose. Yeah. If I was Rory, I would have come to that conclusion as well. But unfortunately, he's too he's too in there with her. Um, and I just think how that plays out with uh, Mickey is that Mickey finds his own way. Whereas how that plays out with Rory is he basically just takes it and then she chooses him. And I don't know, it's just weird. I don't like it. Um, uh, I kind of, I mean, I see, I, I definitely understand because in the, I, I, like, I, I, I get it because I think what, what you're articulating there is that the character Mickey and Mickey and, uh, and I mean, he said Mickey and Rory's story. Mickey and Rose's story. Mm. Oh, imagine if Mickey and Rory had ran off. What a what a what Mickey a, what and an Rory. Literally, they would have been a brilliant couple. Like, oh god, what's your wench yeah. like? Oh, she's horrendous. She's treated me appallingly. She, um, she tried to but, fuck no, the doctor Mi on my wedding night. Uh, but with Mickey and um, uh, Rose, I suppose I. It seems to me what the, the thing that. You, makes it okay for you is that rose gets to be awful but mickey kind of by the end gets to assert his own autonomy and just go no nah, but this isn't something i'm going to engage with anymore rose, without rose is punished and amy is um not punished for how she behaves um but it's the, but so but it's like but it's the thing where with both of them they're allowed to make their choices and go their own way. Yeah, I think is what I'm seeing. Whereas, but I I, I don't think I accept in some ways I don't think I accept that comparison. Um, just because, I mean, the whole first half of series five is a, a Rory doesn't actually feature in it that much. Um, and the two episodes where the ch the choice is essentially made um, happens in the course of two episodes. One of them is the Vampires of Venice, 
which is the kind of wobbling episode. But then you get to Amy's choices where she explicitly makes that choice. And from that point onwards, I for as long I as she can remember. I don't agree with that. Uh, in the, the end of the season, at her wedding, she makes her wedding about the doctor and not her husband sitting next to her and then goes off to the TARDIS and is like, oh, we haven't even had a snog in the bushes. She absolutely does not make that choice in the middle of the season. No, I, I just don't accept that comparison. Again, I mean, this is just something we're not going to agree upon. Um, and this is frankly stuff for a different discussion. I know, I know. Um, but uh, like, ultimately, my, my point there was like, Amy is not punished for how she behaves. She's not. Mm-hmm. Like that, that, okay, you could say she's punished when, when Roy's taken away by the big crack, but that's, that's, what's that? That's not real. That's some weird science fiction thing. Like Amy ultimately chooses to have sex with the doctor on her wedding night for whatever reason. Yeah. And then the doctor no, no, turns up. No, at, she doesn't. They don't have sex. No, she tries. Okay. She tries to do it. And then the doctor turns up at Rory Stagdo and says, I've snogged your missus. And nobody's punished for these things. They're, they're, and, and it's like, ha, 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 ha. And then she goes off at the end of Vampires of Venice and goes, oh, I'm going off with my boys. My boys. Not my husband-to-be. My boys. No, and she's never punished thinking, for I'm it. The... They get married and they have a happy relationship. But she's behaved appallingly and she's never punished. Whereas Rose is basically there's several times where Rose is punished, like at the end of um, Age of Steel, where Mickey's basically, oh, I'm going because like you know you're never going to choose me, and she's like oh, I'm crying her eyes out and stuff. But basically, she deserves that, you know. Mm-hmm. Punishment seems to be a thing you really enjoy seeing in companions. No, not well, maybe. No, I've behaved appallingly in relationships. I, so maybe punishment I, is something I, I deserve. Yeah, I distinctly remember reading a review of yours for... Um, <laughs> I bring this up in, in jest. I remember a review I think you wrote of um, uh, one of the Donna Noble big finishes. And it started with you going, oh, and this does my favourite thing ever, putting Donna Noble through the ringer. Yeah. yeah, but that's only because it brings the best out in Catherine Tate. I love Donna. I don't want to see her in pain. Um, I'm sorry, but in going back to Rose Tyler, because I think yeah, uh, we'll, yeah, yeah. We'll, we will get endlessly sidetracked talking about Amy and <laughs> Oh, Roy. Amy. Oh, Amy. I'm coming for uh, you, wench. Oh. I'm coming for you. Yeah. Carrie, yeah. Um, Can we do one all about what? Amy one day? God, am I ever going to be able to finish a thought oh, in this podcast? <laughs> sorry. I'm going to be quiet. <laughs> but, yeah, but sure. Sure, that will happen one day. I I don't doubt it. Um, uh, what we were originally talking about... Because uh, I... I uh, what were we originally talking about before we started talking about Amy and Rory? I can't remember. <laughs> how very serious... How, how very Series 5 of you. I, I can tell you um, something, though. Um, in this Cyberman two-parter, yeah... Rose is mm-hmm. punished for her arrogance in this because she goes to the doctor, well, I'm going to go and see my family whether you like it or not. And then there's that glorious scene with Jackie where she's like, 
who the hell are you? You know, you're not getting paid, mm. you bitch. <laughs> but she's not being arrogant there. She's being very sweet. But, it, but she's it, it takes just some... underest... Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Um... Uh, I, from memory, I haven't. I, I think you revisited the scene more recently. My memory of it is that she's just trying to be. Oh, oh I see. It because it can kind of read of her meddling in somebody else's marriage and her assuming um, that she, just because she she thinks she's no knows this person, therefore she can get away with this. She she does like she comments on their marriage, doesn't she? From from a point yeah. of, of knowledge, of course, but they don't mm. know that. But then, like, Jackie dies, yeah. doesn't she? So, like, that whole thing about, like, you know, assuming that she can just get close to this family. She's kind of punished again because her mum's killed. And then she's kind of punished again. Mm -hmm. And then Mickey just says, well, I'm staying here because you've treated me terribly. Mm -hmm. I um, You've just reminded me of a question because we have spent a lot of time talking about uh, how Rose is um, an author reflects a lot of qualities uh, authentically reflects a lot of qualities that we, people have but don't like to see yeah. what makes her so much fun to watch though if she is always portraying this carrying this kind of behavior with her why do we like watching her um because she's like oh okay so let's skip forward to fear her okay which is not a popular episode as an astonishing conclusion where she grabs a council axe out of a council van. A council van. Joe, I'm going to report you to the council. <laughs> and smashes in a door in a Here's Johnny fashion. And, you know, like, figures out the plot, realises, you know, that the, the Isolus um, spaceship needs heat, uh, gets it to the right place, you know, is really, really smart and, and really proactive. Like, she can be an incredibly engaging character as mm. well. And and just, you know, it's lovely to see a, a, a female companion, like, one, given so much, like, freedom, and two, like, just being so clear. Look at um, the Impossible Planet and the Satan Pit. Like they're they're separated from each other, aren't they, for the second episode? And she's literally on a, on a on a racing for survival on her own wits. Mm -hmm. I well, actually, I I in some ways I think you've helped helped me answer the question in a slightly different way because I know one of the things you don't like about, say, for example, Amy and Clara. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I know you, you're zipping up your mouth, so I'll, I'll, I'll finish the sentence. One of the things you don't like about them is how kind of smug and clever they are, and they, they constantly, uh, the, the story treats them constantly that they are as smug and clever as they are being, as in you know they kind of get away with everything, whereas you know there are moments where. Rose kind of has to buck up a little bit. It's the bit I'm thinking about is in the Christmas invasion when the doctor is out of the picture and she has to do the whole, you know, I could summon the, yeah. the decrees of the shadow proclamation and the Gelf Confederacy and the Daleks. So get out of here. And they just laugh at her. <laughs> they just laugh at her. It's so funny. She's terrible Sorry. at it. Whereas, you know, Clara yes. would have absolutely, well, Clara did do that, didn't she? In, uh, yeah, in the girl, girl who died. Dies. Yeah, 
Uh, but um, uh, now, I, can I just say one thing? I, I don't. I do not object to smart women. You said I object to women being smart. I do not object. To no, that. oh, sorry, no, no, no. That's not how I meant to phrase it. But because um, Donna Noble was a very smart woman, but she was also very self-deprecating, and she had a, yeah, and she yes. had her ego in check. That's the issue. Clara thinks yeah, sorry, she's brilliant. I... Clara thinks she's really amazing. Like, and she can be really amazing, but there are people that constantly think they're really like a river song thinks she's amazing. Like it's a yeah. bit irritating. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, um, I suppose I did. Sorry, I didn't mean to phrase it like that right. with that insinuation. Um, what I was kind of getting at is just that you know, the 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 characters in the in the Moffat era more often you know that i generally i think across all characters in the new series they're all portrayed as pretty smart and clever people that's why they're traveling with the doctor yeah. um but um and that's good the, they, they absolutely yeah yeah. yeah 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 and that's great and it's wonderful and as it should be but you know um certainly sometimes in, in in the more insufferable moments with some of Moffat's character, uh, some of Moffat's companions, they they kind of breeze through scenes and kind of shrug it off, and they're really cool, yeah. and they're too clever for this, and they're like, oh look at us, how look at how great we are. Whereas with Davis's companions, we get to see them be really clever and have those moments, but we also get to see them kind of get it a bit wrong. Oh, for and sure. It kinda... Yeah, and 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 with Rosa, quite a lot, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, she, um, but but she, you know, she is smart and and she does use her wits, but yeah, like we've already said several ways at moments where she's like, not maybe punished is too strong a word flawed and she and she makes mistakes mm -hmm. yeah so like you know because the whole the whole thing of the christmas invasion is her kind of trying to be the doctor when the doctor is out of the picture yeah. and you know and i think in the christmas invasion as a character she does a really admirable job yeah but she doesn't uh, like she she keeps her cool she's gets everybody moving um she's constantly trying to come up with a plan but at the same time she it's not like suddenly she's become the doctor all of a sudden so she still kind of gets it wrong well you know that um, bit in like, in like um uh, what's it called dark water death in heaven where you know clara's yeah. face is in the title sequence and she's like oh, i'm the doctor and she's facing down the sidemen and like be like that like honestly what human being would be like that in freaking mm. i'm sorry i'm going off i rant again i'm sorry in nightmare and silver when she <laughs> has to like control that army of people like you're just a regular joe on the street like you have had no <laughs> army training you know like i Oh, I, I I get what you're saying. I feel like it, as time goes on, it feels like we're gonna have to put like a stipulation that any time we talk about the Davies era, you can't rant about the Moffat era. Okay. Well, you um, excuse me. You brought this up, not me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're right. I should put that stipulation on myself as well. But I think I think um, the point that you're saying is Rose is flawed. And that's good. There you go. I'll say it very simply. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. It's it's because you know the whole thing with when she stands, stares down the Sycorax. 
is that she gets it completely wrong. And we, we've all had that moment where we've tried to pull off something like that, where we've gone like, this is a great idea, and we just flub it. You know, you know what's um, strange is when she comes back in Stolen Earth and Turn Left and all of that, is that away from the Doctor, she's just remarkably confident and competent, isn't she? Like, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. no, 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 wait. She still has the moment, so didn't she? Like, remember when they're all on the outspace Facebook and she's like, well, what about me? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. yeah. Oi! <laughs> I was here first. Uh, <laughs> oh, Rose. I am. Um, do you want to talk about her in Series 4 or do you want to get through some other things first? Well, really, I think the only thing we kind of haven't talked about is Army of Ghosts and Doomsday. That's like the one big thing that we yeah. haven't touched on. Um, so what are your thoughts about Rose's departure? I think it's amazing. I think I obviously it's spectacular. It's one of the emotional high points of the entire show. Um, I, you know, Russell T Davis is you know, just the whole, the, the, the shot of them putting their hands up against the wall. It's so, it's very simple though, isn't it? It's a very simple image, but really effective. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It conveys the divide so perfectly. Um, and, you know, it, it, it is this thing, and of course the Bad Wolf Bay thing is amazing as well. I, I, I love it. I do deeply love it. And it, and it's, you know, we've talked a lot about Rose being punished by the end of her story. But I don't think, I don't think the actual end of Doomsday is a punishment per se. Mm. I think the scenario that is created in Doomsday is the punishment. So the rise of the Torchwood Institute, the parallel worlds, the Daleks—that's the the punishment. But the division between the Doctor and Rose is a consequence. Yeah. And I think that's different from punishment because that that is the consequence of Rose buzzing back into her reality and saying, I cannot live without you. Yeah. You know, I, I, I that's I, absolutely um, like, I think that's earned that moment. Like, like the journey we've gone on to this point, like, and they are clearly in love at this point. I think for her to say, you know, I'm not going to be with my mom. I want to stay with you. I'm in love with you. That's earned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and yeah, and of course, and I think being clear on that being a consequence rather than uh, a punishment is important because even though she, you know, it, the ending is huge in scope, yeah. in terms in, in emotional scope, um, um, but even though it's tragic and sad and gutting, um, it's that's the, the the her ending up back in the parallel world is the consequence of her trying to stay with the doctor it, her being in the parallel world is not a punishment because it's not like she's unhappy to be with her mum or with mickey or with a parallel version of her dad um it's just that she's without the man she loves that that wasn't her choice that's the tragedy is that you could almost call this like rose's choice before amy's choice this is rose's <laughs> yeah. choice so she has to basically choose between her life or her life with the doctor she chooses her life mm. with the doctor and then that gets snatched away and that's that's the drama isn't it like we know mm. what she wanted and then she's forced to not have it 
Yeah. And, you know, and I think, you know, they're, they are, I think they do a good job of painting how, you know, she's obviously emotionally distraught at the fact that she's without the doctor now. Uh, and it and it is and it's so sad. It like I'm just gonna. It's sad. Can you think it's of a, a more aurora performance, like emotionally, than than that scene on the beach? I can't. Mate, I think I think Donna's comes close. Close, yeah, um, close. But in terms of like um, someone portraying like like grief. Um, yeah, I can't think of any other moment in Doctor Who where I can put a pin in it and say that is real emotion. Like that actress has worked herself up and is portraying genuine like pain. Yeah, I think, and I know you'll probably disagree with me, and I and I, I think there are moments in The Angels Take Manhattan which are emotionally fantastic in terms of. Amy and Rory making this their choices or um, being deprived of their choices, but it, but it does not compare to um, I Doomsday. I think simpler. I think you're right. I think it's simpler uh, in Doomsday. In in the Angel Two Parter, sorry, the Angel episode. It's it's a very complicated situation. Um, there are heightened emotions and there are good performances. I don't know. I just. I, I genuinely feel like someone's ripped Billy Piper's heart out and then forced her to act. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's it, and 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 there's a reason why people had a reaction to this, you know. Yeah, yeah. I so I so I think I suspect what I'm getting at. I'm getting at myself. It's a bit of a weird thing to say. I suspect that what I myself am getting at <laughs> um, um, uh, is that I I obviously think. Um, uh, deeply believe that there are loads of great actors subsequent to Billy Piper's who have given broader emotional uh, departures. But in terms of the specific emotion that you're referring to, yeah. which is that kind of gutting grief, that kind of gaping agony, um, probably not, no. It's, it's, it's staggering. Even my mum commented on the acting. And that's, yeah. Yeah, that's, it's got to be good. Okay. Yeah. I but and yeah and it's it's I think it does the ending does a good job of painting this picture of you know how Rose is going to be or at least it seems initially <laughs> for series four that she's going to she's lost the great love of her life yeah. but it's not like she's now trapped in a world where she's miserable and is going to be depressed and awful for the rest of her life like she's got her mom she's got Mickey She's got. She has a, a brother. A, a young. Is it a, a, a yeah, a, yeah. <laughs> Jackie's pregnant. She's literally got her dad back as well. Um, did they so say the joke? We're not... calling him Doctor. Did they say is that a joke or did I? No, that's in um uh, the, the um in Journey's End where it's a great line where it's like, oh, what did you end up naming him, Doctor? Oh, really? No, we named him Pete. You <laughs> prawn. <laughs> I think it was Pete. And let's not um, pretend that, um, like, Rose's return in Series 4, Jackie's return in Journey's End, and Mickey's, those those weren't celebrated moments. That bit in Partners in Crime when she's revealed, and then the Stolen Earth and the, all of their stuff in there, that was really celebrated. It wasn't like, oh, God, Rose is back. It's like, fuck, Rose is back. 
you know, this must be mm. big. I think Rose definitely, less so Mickey and um, uh, Jackie. I think they're welcomed back. Yeah. I don't think they're celebrated well, as I mean, much. There's so many ingredients in that cake that they're just like another, an extra ingredient on that. Another little layer. Yeah. Yeah, another layer on this. It's a hugely stacked cake. Oh, we've um. Okay, so we've neglected one moment actually in series two that I really want to point out before we mm. finish this, and that it, it's the best Rose moment, and it doesn't feature Rose. Oh, okay. And it's the scene in Love and Monsters between Jackie and Elton outside the flat, and I. I genuinely believe it's one of the most perfect moments in Doctor Who um, where she gives that uh, comment on how hard it is to be left behind. And of anything, within this whole Rose experience, Jackie's going on a journey as well, yeah? And, like, we see her (laughs) argue a lot with Christopher Eccleston, but still do the right thing in The Parting of the Ways. And then the Doctor comes to dinner in the Christmas Invasion, and there's a bit more of a family feel. They're all saying goodbye. And even in, like, Army of Ghosts, when he's back, she's like, oh, come here, you lovely fella. And she's kissing him all over the face. Mm. And they they, mm. they clearly adore each And she says at this point, you know, I'll protect the pair of them uh, until the end of my life, you know. And it is extraordinarily emotional, that scene. Uh, for a character that was introduced in Rose as a bit of, like, a comedy vixen you know uh there's a man Mm -hmm. in my room and i'm in my dressing gown to go from that to that but then to make this comment on how hollow it is to be left behind uh when a companion chooses to go off of the doctor it just says something massive about the whole sort of companion role i just think it's amazing Mm. i i haven't watch love and monsters in so long I, you now maybe want to rewatch it ah well you should it's marvelous mm, marvelous <laughs> um no um i no i yeah i think it, it kind of gets back to what i was saying at the beginning i think rose would be as a character would be a much less palatable even if she was written in the way that she was, um, I think she would be a lot less palatable if you didn't have uh, Jackie and Mickey there as well. Because, you know, Jackie Uh, is Rose's mother, and no matter how appallingly children treat their parents, their parents are still there and they still love them. And again, it's utterly authentic because Rose basically just goes, all right, mum, I'm off. I don't want to be with you. Uh, you know, I'm going off with the doctor. You know, again and again and again, we keep coming back to this. And Jackie's there saying, do you know what? I'm here waiting for her to come back and him. And, you know, and I'm going to look after them. Oh, she's in, she's an amazing yeah. character. Yeah, I, I, I have a feeling that... It's one of the. It's definitely one of the aspects of Russell's era. It prompted a lot of, I think, a lot of commentary at the time. But it's um, especially, you know, when we transitioned into the Moffat era, um, was the the inclusion of these big families. Mm. Um, I know some people was like, oh god, do we have to do the family stuff every year? Another one. I think now it's um, looked upon very favorably. 
as a whole. Yeah, I think, yeah, which is what I was getting at. I think it, it's a side to the show that's aged very well. It's like, it's like um, that, that kind of was taken away, wasn't it? And then people were like, oh, shite, I miss that. Yeah, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's essential. Um, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with Stephen Moffat going, I don't want to do a companion family. I don't think it's bad for the show necessarily to stop doing a companion. He flirts with it, but doesn't engage with it. It's so frustrating. Mm. Is that that what irritates you? That they kind of throw out the possibility of there being a family for Amy. Well, like, you know, who the uh, fuck was Clara's gran? I know who Jackie and Sylvia are. Who the hell was Clara's dad? I don't know. He had a leaf in his face at some point, and that's about all I know about him. I know who Mm. Mickey is. You know, even, Mm. like, Francine. I get who Francine is, this this angry woman Mm. who's pissed that her husband has gone off with this young, pretty thing. Who wants him to take him shopping? I, I get who she is, but you know, like a- Amy's mum and dad in their one scene. Mm. Oh, oh, God knows. Yeah, well, well, it's interesting actually because you know I was thinking of um, Rory's dad uh, in the Power Three. Um, the, probably the best, the best they did. Yeah, still yeah, no, nowhere you... near as good as any of the ones from Rusty Davis. But the best they yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, but no, I do find I find him interesting in some respects, just because you know it is actually that character is introduced in a Chris Chibnall script, yeah. um, and I and um, I find that I and I find his character interesting because he does. I have to rewatch the episode, but in some ways, he does seem like some kind of dry run of graham in some respects yeah yeah oh, uh, but you know like um ryan and yaz's family are for me the most successful families since donna's mm-hmm. like yeah that is graham and it is grace isn't it and that's all and, and his dad and that's all kind of very vividly depicted and yaz's family are just very sweet and so mm-hmm. weird <laughs> um Mm. Do we need it? That's a big question. Do we need it? Oh, I prefer it, but that's that's very different from do we need it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing wrong with saying I, I prefer it. And, you know, when after however many years, seven years without a proper family in the, in the Moffat era, it, I can see why it's a welcome return. Um, but I don't, I, I, I don't think personally, I don't think it, I, I love the families. Uh, okay. I've, it's one of the things I've really come to love, but I don't think they, 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 they're an aspect that now have to be an essential part of the, the show to be, um, I don't think it needs to be part of the package of the show all the time. I think like when you, when you start talking about characters like Bernard Cribbins, Wilf, like you see uh, a a rock solid example of why this is absolute gold you know Mm -hmm. um but just kind of circling it back around to rose again like the template was set here wasn't it and it was a pretty bloody brilliant template they set Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, no, I was just, a, a thought was percolating in my head. Uh, and I'll keep this brief because to go back to what you were saying. Um, I, I don't think the family is always necessarily essential, but a companion does need, and if they come from our world, they need someone else from their life who's part of the show. That doesn't necessarily have to be a family. Like with Amy and Rory, for example, even though we don't really see much of their lives, it's it's them mm. for each other. It's a Amy's well, husband and Rory's wife. It's River, um, really, isn't it? That's, it's, that is a whole family story there in Series 6. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, but we don't go back to work because the family is on board the TARDIS because they're married and together. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's the unit. They're they're they they're the the other people in each other's lives. Plus, well, there's also um, more of an inference in in Moffat's time that those characters do return home. They do like you know in series seven eight. There's like this you know they're back at home. They're in the TARDIS with Clara in series eight. She's back at home. She's in the TARDIS. So there's less of that thing of like leaving your family behind, which you know was mm. led into with Rose because they're kind of home at the end of each adventure. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And that's a whole nother discussion. Um, yeah, yeah. But essentially what I'm getting at is that it, I, it, it's not essential for them to always have a family that's part of their lives, but they do need, you know, a best friend or uh, an estranged... They, they, there needs to be some other point of connection in their lives that isn't the Doctor. Yeah, I agree. I think that's what it is. Uh, and it doesn't have to all... And, you know, it can... Yeah, it can be anybody. It doesn't always have to be a family, but it needs to be someone important to their lives external from the Doctor, I suppose. Absolutely. And um, in terms of Rose, to uh, that package of Rose and her family, uh, the, like you said, the package adds so much to the experience. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sorry, just the word package. I keep picturing like a package, like a pack of popcorn, and you have popcorn inflating. It's like Jackie Tyler shaped popcorn or something. <laughs> they or canine popcorn. They marketed everything else. I'm surprised they didn't do popcorn. Yeah. Well, we've we've explored um, the more favourable aspects of Rose Tyler, um, sort of her heroism, her proactivity, her smarts. Uh, we've explored the less likable aspects of her character, which is her jealousy, being self-centred, uh, being self-important, the stuff of legends. You know, <laughs> um, where ultimately does Rose fall? in the Doctor Who experience for you, where does Rose fall in terms of companions? Is she like somewhere at the bottom of the pack, somewhere at the top of the pack, or somewhere in the middle? I don't know. I, I, she, she's never going to be my favourite, and that's not a fault of... I, I say it's not a fault of the character. Um... I, I don't think it's a fault of the writing. It's definitely not a fault of Billy Piper's performance. It's just a personal preference. Mm -hmm. For me, I think she falls somewhere in the middle. Um, I think of Russell T. Davis's three companions. She's 
my least of the three main ones. She's my least favorite of the three of them. Um, I think it's a very tight race between Martha and Donna and then Rose. Um, so yeah, but it, it's this weird thing where, you know, I, I've always had this kind of ambivalence to Rose Tyler. Um, but anytime I go back to any of her stories, I kind of go, I kind of go, you're actually quite a great character. Uh, and I quite enjoy being around you. Um, so I don't know. She feels like a friend who I could, can't be with all the time because she get, she'll get on my nerves eventually. Oh, my <laughs> God. Do, I'm your Rose Tyler. <laughs> I can speak Nonsense. to you once a week to do this, Joe, but that's it. <laughs> yeah. I... Um... Yeah, no, she's, um, no, uh, Joe Ford is, um, you know, since, uh, I, I like him less than Don and Hopeful and Martha Jones. But more um, than Rose Tyler. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, Jack, where do I fall in the, in your friend? Somewhere near the <laughs> bottom, somewhere near the top, or somewhere in the middle? <laughs> oh my God, oh, stop it. Uh, near, obviously near the top. Um, otherwise, what's the point of doing this podcast? That's very true. Very true. Um, no, she—it's a character who I—who always surprise. It always surprises me how much I actually do quite like her every time I return to her. Um, and but also how much I—the things that annoyed me when I was younger about her as a character and all the. Uh, annoy me less now because I can see that they were kind of deliberate and I can see what they're trying to, what's being articulated with her less likable qualities, even if I still think she's awful sometimes or um, at least, uh, you know, every second episode. Well, I think um, I, I would, I, I, I would actually, on the back of this, take her from the middle and put her near the top. Um, not, not at the very top. Like I, I think I would go Donna, Rose, Martha, actually, if I was going to rank them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm only putting Rose above her because I love Martha as well. I love all the Rusty Davis companions. Um, actually, I'd probably go Donna, Wilf, Rose, Martha. Ah, um, uh, yeah, very fair. But. Um, and that's only because I really love, I love how real she is. And I know I've accentuated this quite a bit, but, um, you know, she is absolutely brilliant one minute, Heart of the TARDIS, and she's brutally authentic in another, oh my God, you're getting on with Linda with a Y, what a bitch. You know, like, <laughs> and I just think as a rounded character, um, she did and, and 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 as a way of exploring the companion role in a, a an original way she absolutely was the best thing for the show at the time and like remains very memorable yeah and i think that and you know i think there's a clear and obvious reason why she there are clear and obvious reasons why she is so loved yeah. um and hated yeah. <laughs> But I feel, but I feel like the the number of people who love her out dwarfs the people who dislike her in uh, quite yeah. a lot. Well, that's because that's because fandom is like you know about eight percent of the audience, and mm. the and the other ninety two percent is the people that love her. You know, 
uh, uh, frame by frame exploring intelligently intelligently its many themes mm -hmm. the um and that and that will will still be well because when we did series one the russell t davis era we said we what what do we do 0 0.5 that's right yeah and we got so us... what does that make that zero zero point five point five? Mm, no, it's probably like zero point four five, I think. <laughs> yeah. What a milestone! Woo! But and then oh, we and then we have decided we're going to take like a, a a four week ish break, uh, so we will not be appearing mm -hmm. in your uh, podcast catchers uh, for a couple of weeks, but we'll be back with some rip roaring yes, content we, we got we got some we've got some good stuff lined up for you and probably a few more guests as well because we enjoy having people around oh yes we got some fun things lined up um yeah do you want to see us out yeah sure why not um i will count us in three two one the, the nine, nine will be, be praised. praised oh yeah we are amazing honestly do we get do we get it jack is a pleasure doing business with you <laughs>